Hey folks, this is Anatoly from Salada, and you're listening to the No Sharding Podcast. And today we have Sunny Agarwal from Sika, who's a famous or infamous validator on Cosmos. Hey, Anatoly, thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's awesome to have you. Do you want to kind of give a brief intro of uh, like how did you get into the space and what what, do you, what you're doing with Sika? Yeah, sure. So I got into the space about now about four years ago. Now I was a freshman at UC Berkeley, and I just got there. I was studying computer science and political economy, and I would find out about Bitcoin, and I'm like, wow, this is a cool way to merge those two topics. And so given that, I kind of started work, joined this like small group there called Bitcoin Association. We used to do like, just chat about Bitcoin over dinner. Uh, eventually, we created this cl- organi- new organization at Berkeley called Blockchain at Berkeley, and we started like really teaching people and running courses and educating people on how do you like how blockchains work and we taught even classes at berkeley like for credit um that's awesome yeah so then i got really into that stuff summer after sophomore year i started interning at consensus wasn't a huge fan so i kind of stopped showing up halfway through the summer (laughs) and but while i was there i kind of learned about proof of stake and kind of got really into proof of stake uh, basically, that entire summer, I just spent reading papers on proof of stake, and I got, you know, to me, ten- I learned about Tendermint, and I'm like, wow, this is just such a practical way of getting proof of stake out the door. That, that was really the first paper that I read, and I was like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I was with one of my friends, uh, my other, like, really close friend at Consensus, his name was Nate Rush, and he was super into Vlad, CBC, Casper, and he was like, oh my god, this is so elegant and beautiful. I'm like... Yeah, but like, you know, Tendermint works. (laughs) And so kind of got, I reached out to the Tendermint team uh, and I'm like, hey, how can I help you guys out? And how can I, uh, you know, I'm not enjoying what I'm doing at Consensus. How can I help you? What you guys seem to do is more interesting. Uh, They told, I learned about that. And while I was talking to them, I learned about what the Cosmos project that they were working on was. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is like, kind of what my entire vision was anyways. Like, that's how I see the blockchain space should work. And so I kind of, Come fall, I dropped out to work, start working on Cosmos, and I've been doing that for about the past two and a half years. Two and a half years? Yeah, two and a half years. And then um, about a year ago, while I was at Cosmos, I started working on a, I, I created a validator company called Sika, kind of in order to run validators, but also do like software development of like new zones and projects built on the Cosmos stack. That's really cool. So like, um, I think now like that I heard your background was political economy. Kind of makes sense that your particular form of infamy is a validator. <laughs> uh, so why are you so infamous as a validator? Yeah, so part of that infamy comes from uh, when Cosmos launched. There, so there's this commission rate that validators are allowed to charge. And for uh, the first eight months or so of Cosmos, of the Cosmos Hub, uh, Sika was charging 0% commission. Um, it was due to a number of reasons, um, but one that kind of, it kind of, ex- you know, I, I always thought that like commission rates for validators are gonna be a race to zero. And I guess I sort of just accelerated that race. And so a lot of people were kind of upset where like I was helping push towards that zero race. So, I mean, I, I mean, it's like you see a system as an engineer and you're like, how do I break it? Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, you know, everyone's best laid plans are come to bear, right? Like, okay, th- this is this is where the failure point is. Um, I mean, I wouldn't see it as a failure point. I just see it as an acceleration of the inevitable where, you know, I knew, for example, Binance just started staking on Cosmos like yeah. last week and they have 0% commission. And like, I, I see... St- I see staking and delegation as like a loss leader and you're going to exchanges are obviously just going to charge 0% and then like get people to host use stuff on their platform. And I was just like, well, you know, if you valid, if all these like new validator companies want to be sustainable, they need to also adopt that model rather than pretending it doesn't exist. So why is it a problem? Why, are, why is zero commissions even a problem? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, the reason people thought it was a problem was that, like you know, the va- validators are not able to be properly compensated for the work that they're doing to uh, help secure the network, and so uh, some valid many validators like on, if you're not in like the top uh, 
10 or whatever, it's very difficult for you to sustain your operations uh, just off of your data center costs and stuff. And one of the ways Sitco was able to do that was we used, uh, we have a partnership with Blockchain at Berkeley and through Blockchain at Berkeley, we have access to the UC Berkeley data center, which we get access to, you know, uh, data center space co-location for uh, subsidized amount. Right. <laughs> so in a sense, that is like you guys are kind of like an exchange. You have like some free, like exchanges already have infrastructure, right? So to them, the costs of staking are negligible. So yeah. it would make sense that they would charge zero fees even if it were right. a loss leader. Um, do you think like the economics of this whole proof of stake validator cycle are, are screwed because of that? Like how, how do you expect validators to make money? Like Usually through, like I said, it, it's probably gonna, for the most part, be a loss leader and you're, you have to offer other services to your delegators. So, um, yeah, so, you so, know. So you think that and those services will depend on how much assets people will delegate to you? Yeah, like, you know, I, I'm not, so I'm not quite sure what kind of services, you know, obviously exchanges are the obvious one, but like for, you know, that would suck if all yeah. validators are only exchanges. So what are other things? You know, one thing that I think would be kind of interesting is a lot of, um, a lot of the validators on the Cosmos Hub are made up of, uh, a lot are run by projects who are building chains on Cosmos. And so one thing, you know, a cool, uh, token like sale model would be instead of uh, selling token, you could charge like some commit higher commission rate on your validator. And then you basically distribute tokens to for a, for a future chain based off of uh, delegation to a validator today. And so the longer you're delegated to a validator, the more uh, tokens you get on that uh, chain in the future. That's a cool idea. Um, do you think that like, if, you know, at least our perspective on this is, again, I'm an engineer, so I think about, okay, how do we solve this? And to me, the obvious answer is we get to 100% slashing. It's not going to happen overnight, right? Just simply because of software bugs and reliability of the setups and everything like that. But if you're Binance and you're running a node with 100% slashing, are you going to put all of your users' assets on that instance, right? From what... I mean, I would think so, but from my experience of talking to people, it seems that most people see that in the other way, where they think that as the slashing rate goes up, they that they want to concentrate their delegation to a smaller, highly more trusted set of node operators. But versus spreading it out, but they still want to spread it out. They like, for example, Binance might internally want to spread it out. So maybe they'll have like two or three different teams within Binance, like independently set up their own staking operations. So that way they risk mitigate within the organization. But I don't see that as compelling reason. I, I don't think Binance would trust an outside organization more than they would. In, in but, but why not just like pass that risk on to their users and have them stake with whoever you want? The tokens oh, are still yeah, custody yeah. with Binance, right? And there's just in their UI, like, okay, stake with Chorus One, stake mm -hmm. with Sika. Because, I mean, I think Binance already, in running an exchange, you're kind of already making the bet that you have phenomenal security, right? Because, you know, when people deposit money onto your exchange, they're already. And, six, and, and, six, six nines of security, right? Maybe. Yeah, and, and, but Binance has shown that you know, in the case that there's an issue, they're willing to just like cover the cover the cost because they're that confident enough in their security issue. Uh, and so, I, I I I don't. Yeah, I don't think that um, that's gonna like the hundred percent slashing alone does that. What I, one of the proposals I wrote for the Cosmos Hub was proportional slashing, where what that says is the most. So I guess one thing you'd want to do is you don't want to make it so everyone is 100%. You want it because then you don't have any differentiation. You don't have any wiggle room there. But instead, what I would want to do is say the larger a validator is, the more they get slashed. And so let's say a validator has like 10% of the stake, right? Yep. They should probably get like 100% slashed. But a validator who only has like 1% of the delegation, maybe they should only get 10% slashed. Yeah, and, that, and that, that concept is related to quadratic slashing. 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I used to call this stuff proportional slashing, yeah, and then yeah. uh, 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 and then the other thing you want to do is also keep track of how many people slash at roughly the same time. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so that that stops some of these like staking as a serv like white label staking as a service providers like right. bison trails and whatnot. Yeah. So the, yeah, the basic idea there, right, um, just to paraphrase, is you have a bunch of nodes in the network, and let's say you have 120 of them do the same bad thing at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so you can basically take their, you know, aggregate stake value of their entire of the entire misbehaving set, and have the slashing percentage be based on that aggregated stake value. Mm -hmm. So, which would go up the higher the stake value. Yeah. Um, and but this, and so that's why you don't want to put everyone at 100% because then there's no reason for people to go from a more secure to a less secure one. But if you want to incentivize well, the decentralization, you say that a smaller validator actually has less slashing. So that way it encourages delegators to kind of move towards some of those smaller ones. If you have 100% slashing, I suspect that one, people that do want to stake will stake with, let's say, 10 trusted validators that they've identified, mm -hmm. right? Some human countable number. Mm -hmm. But that would also remove a bunch of the stake from delegation to begin with. People just hold their token natively and mm -hmm. eat the cost of that, um, which means that there's more rewards available and therefore now validate, there's opportunity for new high like quality validators to come into the network. Mm -hmm. So I think like market forces should kind of play it out, um, mm -hmm. but unless those forces have to be strong enough for like an exchange like Binance to be wary of staking for the single node, right? Right. Like it has to be like strong enough to where they would don't want to stake everything. <laughs> right. Right. Like I don't know. As I guess philosophically, as a political economist, this may be a controversial topic. Let's cause some controversy, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Um, do you think that uh, networks without slashing, proof of stake networks without slashing, in my mind, I think they're Ponzi schemes. Proof of stake networks without slashing are Ponzi schemes. If there's not, imagine I wrote yeah. like an ERC20 contract. It does nothing besides staking. When you stake, you get more of the tokens. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, right? Yeah, totally. Like, it, that's effectively a proof of stake network without slashing, right? Nothing is at sure. risk, like, and you're getting rewards. I mean, do, do, is that true or like... Yeah, I mean, I, I in general, I think that like proof of stake networks without slashing, it's like, you know, I don't understand. I, I don't see the point of it. Like, to me, the, the value of proof of stake is that as opposed to proof of work where you punish... You know, there's a cost for everyone in proof of stake. You can make it so there's a cost only for bad actors and no cost for good actors or lesser cost for good actors. If you don't have slashing, like what are you doing? You're like just creating a terrible system where there's no cost for anyone. And that's like, why are we doing this over proof of work? The argument that people make is that the capital that they've invested into the network is at risk of just general market fluctuations. But they're already at risk at that of that. Right. Like like they would be in my ERC twenty staking contract. Right. That's right. nothing besides staking, right? Right. Yeah. Okay. So since we're agreeing, we need to come up with something we, we disagree on, right? Okay. <laughs> How about this? I have a, I have a something that uh maybe might be more controversial. Proof of stake is not neutral enough. And I don't think I think it's not gonna be successful for a general purpose chain for that reason. Where if there's a, I think it makes sense, a little, a little bit more sense for application specific chains where it has, or like things that have like strong governance, for example. But for a general purpose thing, I think eventually what's gonna happen is people are gonna be like, I don't have enough ownership over that network and this is all open source software. And if you, it, like, you know, I might as well just fork it and create a new network in which I but, have But you can do that with proof of work networks, right? I don't um, have ownership over like Bitcoin, right? I just have some yeah. tiny miner that I'm running at home. But the, in, in Bitcoin, the, the, the product is the Bitcoin token. But in proof of stake, the, the, the utility you're trying to get out of it is probably not, not in proof of stake, but in like, in a, true and complete chain, like uh, uh, with smart contracting, the utility you're trying to get out of it is not necessarily the ether or the, it's it's the, you know, you just want to use it as a computation platform. Yeah, I, I again, I wish, I'm, I'm agreeing with this controversy too. I wow. think that like, 
<laughs> proof of work has this kind of magical balance of the electricity is like a physical constant that's yeah. being put into the security of it. And with proof of stake, you don't have that. What you have is this multi-party computation mm -hmm. that's based on you know how how decentralized the network is and how many people hold those keys and the liquidity of the token and the risk of any of those keys going haywire. Yeah. But I mean, like, so consider this. I mean, I think even in proof of work, like something like Ethereum, I think, I think long term Ethereum is going to have major issues as long as they keep demanding that Ether is used to pay transaction fees. I think that's just a terrible UX. I have had friends who I've tried to show how to use DAI. And then I sent them some die, and they're like, and I'm like, oh shit, I, I forgot you also, I need, also need to send you some ether because you can't actually use that die until I send you some ether. So, yeah, I, for us, like, uh, we can solve that problem by just running a gas station that pays for everyone's mm -hmm. fees. How, okay, how, how, so how do I pay the gas station? You just sign up through, like, give us, like, some civil resistance mechanism, phone number, Google account, whatever. But then you are just paying everyone's fees. Then. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. But then it's like your 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 API key, right? Like if you think of a chain, this Byzantine fault tolerant computer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't to separate them from Bitcoin and proof of work. I don't think proof of stake networks are store of value. There's mm -hmm. some some theoretical argument you can make about Bitcoin and store of value. Yeah. But like. But I think what we're building, what Cosmos is building, what Eve 2.0 is, it's a BFT computational device. Right. I think you can treat it as a SaaS. Yeah. <laughs> like, and sure, underneath the hood, there's gas, and we pay them in the native coin, and people can go and set up their own gas stations and yeah. do whatever, whatever way they want to do it. Yeah. It doesn't matter, right? But like, in the end of the day, like, I think you can give them an API token, which is indistinguishable from a public key. Right. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's a, you know, I guess that's something that's been always apparent. But you know, I feel very few people have been open enough to open, like, transparent enough to openly admit it that like the way that you know, like the way you're saying you see Solana's product is very different than the way Bitcoin uh, sees its product as well, like an open network yeah. versus a SaaS product. I think Bitcoin was like a, a cool experiment that. Through self-reflection and like the mm -hmm. community that they built became itself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't designed to be a specific product, right? <laughs> it was just here's a cool thing, and just 2008 was like the the perfect time to to really get it going. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you remember like the the crash and then the Greek crisis and like that whole thing. I, right? I mean, I was pretty young, but uh, I, I remember it. But then I don't like like I remember it was happening. Don't remember the details, but then I, like you know, as I grew up, I like went back and like read a lot of it, but definitely yeah. not the same as like living through it like that. As an engineer, like um, when I looked at Bitcoin, I was like, "Oh, this will never scale. Who would ever use this?" But you totally miss the social context, especially that moment where like the our trusted financial systems totally failed, yeah. and there was this alternative for the for groups of people that were really one disenfranchised by the financial systems and two like really yeah like mm -hmm. disheartened by them and like hey look all this shit doesn't work and it's gonna collapse <laughs> yeah i mean i see bitcoin as a as an art project it's a uh it's like a fashion statement of rebelliousness uh i i'm not convinced that bitcoin is actually like the monetary policy of bitcoin is actually like uh lends itself to being a, yeah. a good replacement to the current financial system yeah the the i think we're gonna see a black swan event when the rewards go to zero or mm -hmm. even possibly this happening yeah but, um funny you say that it's an art project i when i <laughs> when i try to make the store value argument um the way i imagine it is imagine for bitcoin or for, for bitcoin okay no yeah i don't Imagine like I was building a work of digital art yeah. and it took 10 trillion joules of electricity to create. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want a piece of it? Yeah. Like, you're like, yeah, like I'll give you something about zero dollars for it, right? So yeah. It's just cool, right? Like, holy shit, you're going to spend like a country's output of electricity to build this digital work of art that's unique and provably unique, right? Yeah. In, in that sense, it's got some really cool properties. Yeah. Um, yeah, so from my perspective, you can kind of make this argument for proof of stake networks. When you look at this computation, it's a sure it's a multi-party computation, right? Crypt with cryptographic guarantees, mm -hmm. um, 
But it, that data structure in itself holds no value over any other data structure, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Unless like you can get like I mean, eight billion people to participate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in in Solana, I think that there's a little bit of like you know, it's not as easy to replicate that network because of the hardware requirements required in Solana, exactly. which I think that's kind of true in like Bitcoin as well, where it's hard for me to like yep. easily replicate that. And I feel it's a little bit harder for me to replicate Solana for that reason, just because the network has such high. Yeah. So like, if you're like, okay, I want a high performance network, but then the hardware costs are high and I want some Byzantine fault tolerance, so I have to yeah. convince at least 20 validators to come on board. I need to give them something. Right. We have this we have this kind of local maximum, oh, okay, it's already here and the fees are so cheap, I don't want to use it. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, why fork it? Yeah. In the Cosmos SDK chain, like I feel it's very trivial for me to fork yeah. the Cosmos Hub and get every validator to want to run both copies. It costs nothing. Exactly. Now, that could be a, for a feature or a bug. I mean, I personally see that as a feature. Because uh, you know, I think forking is the most valuable governance tool that blockchains has have given us. But that could also see be seen as a more fragile yeah. social consensus. I I like the forking approach, and it it also makes sense design wise. And I I'm sure this was intentional to have like such an easy to fork chain that's mm -hmm. plugged into something that can design for multi chain like protocols mm -hmm. to talk to each other. Yeah. So. One of the, okay, so one of the things I've been thinking about for is so kind of related to that neutrality of proof of stake. Um, I've been trying to think of how to create uh, cons consensus protocols that are not proof of stake based, but are rather reputation based. So kind of building on some of those original ideas from like Ripple or more more particularly actually more so Stellar. You said the R word. Yeah, I did say the R word. Uh, I was just at the Ripple office uh, two days ago uh, there for some interledger stuff. But yeah, it was interesting. Um, but yeah, no, but Stellar, like, you know, the idea was that like, hey, no, you can either do civil resistance either through some resource where like in proof of work or storage or electricity, electricity or stake, or, or you could do it as a web of trust and that can give you more localized uh, civil resistance and I Stellar kind of tried to do that where they're like okay you choose these quorums and you know as long as everyone's quorums have enough intersection we can come to global consensus but it turns out the requirements there were weird because it said I didn't understand the Stellar paper the first two times I read it I didn't understand the proofs third time I read it I realized I misread something where it says every quorum needs to have direct intersection with every other quorum. That's not a web of trust. That's like an unreal property of real networks. And yeah. they solved that by everyone just adds Stellar Foundation, so now everyone has yeah. global connection. I think you can combine some ideas from, take some of the ideas from Avalanche and actually make it work in a proper web of trust-like system. So, you know, instead of, you know, how Avar is doing it is they take the, um, global node list and like stake list and you pull randomly from five nodes. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming your listeners know because yeah. you mentioned that you just did an episode of them in a few days ago. Um, but yeah, and but I think you can, instead of pulling from the stake list, you can pull from your trusted list and everyone can have a slightly different trusted list. But as long as there's enough global intersection and it doesn't have to be direct intersection because Avalanche is this multi-round game. Information in one quorum can propagate to a quorum that's even a few hops away. Um, and I think you can still come to some level of global consensus given that there isn't sufficient quorum intersection. What, what about um, pushing this idea further and kind of removing the requirement on consistency? Like, so, like, I think what's been under research, and there's, I think, only one project really working on this is just well, why don't we just use CRDTs? And I send you some coin, and you may not have any guarantee that I have a double spot. Mm -hmm. But you can actually just query the network and like, hey, this coin ever been double spent in the last 10 yeah. minutes, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's kind of what I believe how Ava does do it, right? They only 
you only run a snowball game when you have conflicting transactions, from what I understand. You don't run a snowball game for non-conflicting transactions. Oh, but you have to discover if they're conflicting. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, uh, I think there's uh, some, some opportunity there to have, uh, like, very low value transfer. That's probably correct. Right. Because what... What I think the what that should be exploiting is this relationship between humans that like I know you right you know I'm not gonna double spend you right so I'm gonna send you some money and you can trust that and yep. and go along your way versus you receive some random payment from some random person on the internet yep and you mm-hmm. don't trust them right mm-hmm. it's uh, this like whole like again my I. Like this, like when I was in college, two thousand three, right? This, the when I graduated, so this will date me. This whole idea of this BFT computation, this trustless minimizing global computer, none of it seemed like it was possible. Like mm-hmm. it seemed like papers written for paper's sake, and uh, like what? Why would you even want this? Mm-hmm. And I think um, cryptocurrencies, like, were the missing piece. That there's some financial reason for this thing to exist. Mm-hmm. Again, you agree, right? We're just agreeing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, what's, some, okay, what's something we can disagree with? So, so here, here's to follow on the thought. Okay. And this is where, like, when I started Solano, I had this 4 a.m. realization I can do time, right? Yeah. And I had this fever dream for a week. And part of this fever dream was, you know, we build this computer, trust-minimizing computer, and it's financially driven. We as humans, right, you run a validator, you get some reward, you spend it on food, you know, mm-hmm. shelter, movies, and you keep doing this. We're mm-hmm. ants in an anthill. And the thing that's actually being computed inside this thing, you know, it can take a mind of its own. Like right mm-hmm. now, like especially with what we're doing, it's a single state. We do, you know, 50,000 state transitions per second today. Mm-hmm. 10 years from now, it could be 50 million. Yeah. At that point, can you even comprehend what's happening inside that? Is there like, <laughs> like it could actually be an intelligence, right? Like yeah. if, mm-hmm. if you were to think of like the science fiction AI running amok, mm-hmm. for it to survive, it needs to be inside a machine that cannot be hacked or crashed. Mm-hmm. What do those systems look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Skynet on the blockchain. Right, exactly. Uh, so, question of, okay, about, about Solana then. When, how do I run a? How do, do you, how do you expect people to run full nodes on these things if like if people don't have GPUs lying around? How do I run a full node? Yeah. So like uh, this is actually what like um, Chorus One folks are working on. So they're okay. building this thing called Stronggate, mm-hmm. which is a a way for. It's a very simple thing. You have multiple nodes that share the exact same key. Internally, yeah. they run some form of consensus between themselves, and they get to decide who is master mm-hmm. and who is not. So in that system, you can build elastic validators. I run mm-hmm. the cheapest possible node right now. When there's a spike in demand, I scale up to a high-performance node and then scale down. Mm-hmm. But because you need this form of consensus between the auto-scaling bits, you don't cause a slashing thing. Right. So. People like think of us oh, as fifty thousand TPS. It's gonna be no one's gonna be able to store it or 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 like run it. Mm-hmm. Reality is is that like the steady state is gonna be pretty low. Mm-hmm. What that means is we need to we can run the lowest possible machine at the steady state, mm-hmm. but we can price transactions and the fees at the maximum capacity of the network. So validators pay hardware costs for the steady state. Yeah. And then they scale up. But how do users interact with this? So I understand that like course one can do this, right? Um, but I don't understand how, you know, oh. how, is there a good light client that yeah, yeah, users like, to use? Yeah, light clients are, are fairly simple to build. It's okay. just a bunch of signature verifications. You, you have right. the same like... Well, but, uh, okay, yeah. So, 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 so the claim here is that long term, you don't see users running full nodes, but like the average user running a full node, but rather the average user will run light clients. Yeah, I don't think so. I, okay. I, like there, there is like a f- kind of a philosophical question. Mm-hmm. Do you do you need to build a blockchain that runs on Raspberry Pis? You need to build one that a phone can interact with. 
Well, a 5G phone has one gigabit connectivity. Mm -hmm. uh, this thing has a thousand SIMD lanes. Then the 5G version of this is probably going to have 4,000. Mm -hmm. That is the equivalent spec for our top tier hardware right now. It's but like, I also don't want to use all my phone's battery and network and my data connection to... I mean... My, my, my point is, as long as it's good light client, I think that's fine. But I just haven't seen the light client spec yet for Solana. Yeah, um, that's fair. There, there's like a couple design PRs that are a mm -hmm. little scattered. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, it's no different yeah. than any other light client. You have, a, mm -hmm. you have validators, you have Merkle paths for their votes, and that's it. Mm. Another question I have then about the uh, Solana. Sorry, I feel like I just turned into the interviewer somehow. <laughs> uh, well, well, you run your own podcast. Right? Yeah, so. yeah. I, I guess I so I listened to uh, the episode, the epicenter episode with uh, you, and so I had some questions. Perfect. I wasn't on that. Yeah, let's, that let's one. hash them out. <laughs> um, and then so okay. Oh man, what was I going to say? I forgot. Uh, Solana. Okay. Um, Oh, okay. So when it comes to like hashtag no sharding, right? I feel one of the main value propositions of not running things on one chain is that you you need you know application based sharding is important because then people only have to process the transactions that they care about. So let's say a validator wants to you know they only or not not even a validator. Let's say a user wants to run a full node because they're a user of like one application, right? Yeah. But now they're forced to process like every single... No, like, like if, if all they care about is an application, here's the interesting thing is that you can filter by the, by the execution of the application. Now what you're trusting is that the gas is being mm -hmm. validated by the rest of the network. So assuming that you trust the rest of the network is, is honest about the gas being spent. Mm -hmm. The underlying gas fee, which is our coin, the native token. Mm -hmm. If you don't give a shit about the native token and the gas model, mm -hmm. you can just run the state transitions for your application specifically and compute them locally. And that's it. And so each, so you're kind of running like isolated... Uh, validators run everything because what they care about is the gas, right? Right. Like you you asking this BFT system, go do a bunch of computation, yeah. here's 10 bucks to do it. And they're like, yeah. sure, we want to validate one, the $10 is real, and two, that the computation costs less than $10, right? Sure. <laughs> right, so validators do that. You as like an application-specific chain, you're like, okay, you guys ran this thing, I'm sure you got paid for it, mm -hmm. just give me my state transitions and I can locally execute them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, um, even, but do you think it's even necessary for validators to want to run every application? Like maybe it's not necessary for to give the CryptoKitties but chain. Oh, what they're trying to split there is the hardware. Yeah. And we're not, like we have a single machine, right? <laughs> like <laughs> you can't split it any less than that. Mm. We're, not, we're not even like building a rack of validators. Like mm -hmm. validators run a single box. Mm -hmm. How do you split that? <laughs> The, the question there is that, like, do we need to design for chains for that run on Raspberry Pi, mm. right? Um, my answer is no, screw that. Like, I think that going into that direction is, um, like, it feels like academic or somehow like a fun engineering problem, but, yeah, like, reality is that, like, two years from now, the hardware that we're building on now is going to be obsolete. Mm -hmm. So it's going to double like literally double that's an exponentially growing curve sure so why if you do not want to be in the wrong side of the, in the, of the exponentially growing curve sure like it means that either we're going to get twice as decentralized based on hardware metrics or have twice the amount of capacity right so mm -hmm. like why why fight that mm -hmm. cool. do you guys see like sika as being like is it an experiment where you're trolling like a chains economically or are you like running a professional validator with like next generation like applications on top of it um <laughs> <laughs> definitely the second one okay. um you know sika i mean I, i'm personally planning on starting to focus a lot more heavily on sika than i have been for the past uh year i mean like so far we're currently running on two main nets which is the cosmos hub and uh kava um and then sika we plan to sort of we're starting to run on a lot more uh, the ones that we're currently like 
in the process of setting up Node for our Solana and Celo. Um, oh, so cool. kind of kind of expanding. You know, we're, we're, we're really obviously we're very good at running Cosmos SDK based chains, but now we're kind of just expanding our skill set to like understand the software stack of more uh, frameworks. Um, are, are you like uh, there was a paper out I think uh, Taran right that uh, mentioned the tug of war between proof of stake security and these higher level applications right yeah. like lending and staking. Do you think that's accurate? Do, do, do you see that as a huge problem in the future, or are we um, or solvable? I think staking derivatives primarily solve right. that, right? Because you can you can lend staked assets. And the vision of Cosmos has generally always been that like we expect all atoms to be staked. Uh, there, I, I haven't. I have a paper on this where not it's like you know, yeah, sort of a paper where I kind of explain how I, the economic model of atoms, and in that I see them as similar to ASICs. And in ASICs, you're expect you know, you you don't you shouldn't have a SHA two fifty six ASIC just sitting laying around because that's a waste of, you know, waste. Yeah, of, that, and, that, that's very accurate. Yeah, and so. For that reason, I think that most of them will be staked. Uh, it should be highly illiquid uh, in that sense, but then you should make it easy for, you know, you can have staking derivatives that can then be used as this higher level thing. Yeah, but, but to me, that makes the most sense too. Like mm -hmm. if you have the security model based on staking, all of the assets should really be staked minus what's being used. Yeah. Like to, to actually float. Yeah, and so I actually wrote up an entire spec on how to create uh, fully fungible um, staking derivatives. Uh, it has to be done at the base layer, and it has. You want to make use of a feature that uh, I spent a lot of time convincing everyone that we need in Cosmos, and so now it's there, which is cool. instant redelegation. That as a delegator, I I want to be able to redelegate from one validator to another uh, instantly, like tradition. I think maybe now so some do, other changes. Do you take the slashing risk for both during the Yeah, unbonding? so okay. when, you, when you're in that process, you're put into a pseudo-unbonding period where you're still slashable for the old one until that pseudo-unbonding period yeah. ends. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and if you have this primitive, then you can actually create uh, much more easier. It, it's still a very weird, like, complex design because of just some... It, the complexity comes in primarily because in the Cosmos Hub, we have this, or in the Cosmos SDK by default, uh, you can change it if you want in your own chain, but we allow people to pay fees in a number of tokens. So if you require that all fees were paid in atoms, for example, it would actually be really easy to implement the staking derivatives. But it's because fees can be paid in BTC or Ether or whatever, the, the mechanism gets a little bit more complicated to handle that. And so that's what the spec uh, handles. That's, yeah, that's pretty cool. So if I have a Cosmos bridge to Bitcoin or, mm -hmm. or Ethereum, I can pay the fees through the bridge. Yes. Uh, that's, so that's like one of, I, this This goes back to my thing I was saying, or I don't know if I said it or not, but like, yeah, I think that Ethereum, it's gonna be problematic because everyone has to pay in Ether. And I, I, I wanted to make sure that's not the case on the Cosmos Hub. The atoms are staking token, they get the value that people pay in fees, but the fees are being paid in Bitcoin and Ether and DAI and USDC and whatever. Got it. Cool. What about like the? There's no native additional tokens in the Cosmos Hub. All, all the all the all the tokens are external, running on their own chains. Right. Yeah, that's cool. But that's um, a that's an interesting model. There's a cool design I also have for. Um, Let's say I may, so eventually when the Cosmos Hub does uh, shared security, interchange staking, where a subset of the validator set of the hub is like co-validating another chain, um, a way that you can pay your fees on the other chain without having tokens on that chain. And how you can do that is you, you, you have all your money on the secure chain, which is the hub, and you can set up a one-way payment channel with the validator set of the chain and you send them a payment channel update and in the fee field of your transaction on the other chain instead of you you put in the signed channel update and so that's the payment to them and then if they ever want to close the channel the validator said they have to submit a ibc proof showing that the whatever the latest channel update the corresponding transaction was committed 
to that chain. Got it. Got it. Just to paraphrase, like imagine I had two chains, and effectively on one I pay the same validator that's running Cosmos Hub. Hey, mm-hmm. go do something for me in chain two that you're already running on. Mm-hmm. Right. And conceptually, that's kind of how it works. Yeah, but yeah. you use the payment channels, and then the IBC, yeah. like the. The dependency of the payment channel closing has to also be based on the IBC proof. So that way it's an atomic payment that the payment doesn't go through unless the transaction also goes through. Yeah, got it, got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Um, do you do you see like the, the IBC, this cross-chain implementation um, as being something that will take off next year? Or are we still like in this like research phase? Um, I think we're going to see the base IBC probably take off in 2020 uh, in like the first half of 2020. And then I think after that, it's going to come to a lot of these higher level protocols. So like IBC should be seen as like TCP IP, where it's just allowing two chains to talk to each other. But, you know, it doesn't specify what they're talking about yet. And for that, you need like ATDP and SMTP and FTP and whatnot. And so I think what we're going to see a lot of 2020 now is development of these higher level protocols. The most obvious, the basic one is token transfers because that's like, yeah. you know, very valuable and useful. But after that, then we're going to start to see like, you know, a lot of this like interchain staking stuff, the fee payment across chains, um, you know, a way of doing, uh, let's say an account on another chain that's represented as a pseudo account on this chain. I think we're going to see a lot more development of these higher level protocols. Like some criticism that I heard of this Cosmos model is that why wouldn't chains just build direct point-to-point connections? I think they will. Yeah. Like it, it, I, I mean, the value of the hub to me is purely what for interchange staking. I don't think it comes from the, you know, uh, transaction relaying. So I expect for token transfers and stuff, I think chains will probably just go through each other point to point. But yeah. the value of the hub is for the interchange staking. And also, in you know, it could be seen as it's a chain that maybe will be fast iterating to update on ICS on IDC standards. So we call this interchange standards, ICSs. So let's say, you know, there's a ICS for how to do IBC to a new consensus protocol, right? The hub will probably be the, one of the fastest at iterating on those. So that way, if a chain doesn't want to keep up with iterating on all the ICSs as they come out, they can connect to the hub and assume the hub will do yeah. that translation for them. But that, they don't. They can upgrade, update it themselves. Um, my view is just to think people are going to be lazy about it, mm-hmm. and why build something when there's like a shelling point, right? Yeah. Like, like unless there's some really performance impactful reason like maybe two Solana chains if somebody forks Solana we probably want to build some high performance bridge yeah (laughs) but then like yeah and that's what the IDC spec is like highly it's meant as a point-to-point spec and it doesn't assume hubs and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I'm I'm curious how that's gonna turn out are we gonna see like so the Cosmos vision is that there's going to be many chains all in it corrected. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's like, well, what are your odds of that vision coming together like 10 years from now? Like I think in the five years, there's just too many smart teams working too many different ideas. They'll all like kind of get it over the line mm-hmm. and they'll be kick around, right? But then what's going to happen five, 10 years from now? Are we going to see consolidation to like the top three chains, Bitcoin, mm-hmm some BFD compute system and a privacy going or like, mm. um, or are we mm. going to see this like world of many different bizarro chains still running around? I think we're going to, I mean, you know, today we see like 50 different programming languages right. still, right? And everyone has their preference on that kind of thing. And so, you know, in, there's going to be a preferences of people that I like building on the EVM. I like building on Move. I like building on whatever that's true and I think so I don't know if we're gonna see necessarily a co coalescing of that um, I think each if a chain wants an, a chance of being like such a subsuming chain I think one of the things it definitely has to do is go like, kind of going back to that is it has to be it it has to try its best to not um, 
make one token be like the native token. So I think a move away from proof of stake and a move away from a specific currency being paid for fees. I think that chain has the most staying power and it, because it has the least people who are act, because then it's incentive. Now people are incentive or they are neutral enough to want to just build applications on top of it rather than being, there's no incentive to forking it because you can't earn anything from forking it. And I think for that to exist, you need something like a Cosmos model where the, you think of all the Tendermint chains as one chain. So yeah, so that, exactly, that's yeah. kind of, so that's where the Cosmos, if you think of Cosmos itself as an, a system where there is no native token on the Cosmos system as a whole. There's no single staking token. It was a way of allowing everyone to kind of build their own token uh, as their own staking token. So if you can build a single chain that can mimic those neutrality properties, I think that has a much higher chance of success than, I, that, I think that would be the biggest threat to Cosmos. If you can build a single chain that still has that neutrality properties of Cosmos. So there's like a couple approaches to that. One is, um, what is that other project by that other big company? It rhymes with Schmerity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, I think they're, they're a little bit, even their polka dot design yeah, is a little yeah. bit less neutral than the Cosmos design because yep. they heavily do assume you're using the uh, polka dot like relay chain. Yep. Um, but you know, Substrate itself is like, you know, it's a great framework for building uh, sovereign chains. And, you know, I know that we're working, we're working with some teams on building IDC can integration into Substrate as well. So those can just become chains in the Cosmos, in so, this interchain. So, so Cosmos's goal really is to just consume everything, right? Yeah, I mean, the goal was always just, yeah. That, yeah, consume everything. Every that's why you know. Cos, I feel Cosmos has like a bad. If I tell people that oh your chain is going to be part of the Cosmos, I feel like oh no, I'm scared now. Uh, so that's why I try to say sometimes I use the word interchain instead. I am honestly word. like just um, working with the folks that are part of the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, they're awesome. Just like the validators, everyone that I've ever talked to, Zaki is an amazing person. Mm -hmm. Just based on that, I want to build an IBC bridge. Like, <laughs> like why not? They're yeah. awesome people. Why not work with them? Yeah, and you can build. You know, it's it's it's. And you're not like you don't feel like you're giving something to someone else. It's just like IBC is an open protocol, and it's just like might as well. There's no reason not to. Do you guys feel competitive with Polkadot? Or do you think it's too different enough that the little kind of like different use cases will adopt different chains? I would say the Cosmos Hub chain is competitive with the Polkadot Relay chain, while the Cosmos Vision is not necessarily competitive with the Polkadot Vision. Which is why I actually that I know that sounds super confusing because we use the word Cosmos for both, and so I am on an active. Uh, uh, campaign right now to rename. Uh, we should stop calling the, that chain the Cosmos Hub. Let's call it Gaia. I think it's a cooler name. Uh, the name of the software is already called Gaia. So when you run the chain, you're running Gaia D. Um, and so I feel that this or this relationship between Cosmos Hub and Cosmos is really confuses people. So if we just call the chain Gaia, simplifies it. And so I would say the Gaia chain is in competition with the Polkadot Relay Chain because they're trying to do both do like offer interchain staking. Um, I think I personally think that the Gaia model is better designed for interchain staking, where the Polkadot model is much more like sharding, where it says that all the shards, all the parachains need equal security, while in the Gaia model, uh, our premise is that no, not every uh, inter interstate zone needs equal security. Some can have some ch some chains zones will have like hundreds of validators co-validating it, and some of them will have ten validators co-validating it. That's okay. Um, that's competitive, but I think the Cosmos idea is sort of much more. Different. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I I don't disagree with the Cosmos model. Like in intuitively, it doesn't disagree with me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make me bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I think there is a this fundamental tug of like kind of something about staking and validation and the security of consensus does not fit well with every computation that I throw in the network mm -hmm. has to have the exact same amount of security. Mm -hmm. um, even though that's what we're building. <laughs> uh, right. There's like a little bit of a problem. Why do I need, you know, that much security, right? Versus another transaction. Right. Especially when you pay per byte. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of, like security right is really just per byte transfers. Like how much computation did this thing take? Mm -hmm. But um, I think end of the day in the future, validators will need to be paid for the volume of financial security they're providing. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm, if I'm doing a billion dollars with a business through Ethereum and they're not getting paid like a percentage of that billion, they're getting screwed, right? Mm -hmm. And there's this, we end up with like these incentives where the validators could then basically withhold my billion dollars with the revenue, yep. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like why, would, why wouldn't they start censoring? Right? Yeah. And yeah, I completely agree. I think at some point, uh, transaction fees aren't just going to be based off of resources, but it's going to be based off of value. And that's kind of what the model that I, like in the Cosmos, uh, in the Gaia model, you can pull off because each chain that's being co-validated can kind of uh, provide its own options of how to, you know, how does it reward, how does incentivize validators to come? And so it doesn't have to say, oh, we're going to pay you off of resources. If it's like an important chain like Maker, for example, it could be like, oh, we'll pay you like 5% of the stability fee over time. And so now the validators are co-validators can be like, okay, we think that the maker system is going to be successful. So let's co-validate that. Yeah. The, the, like the challenge there is how do you make a system that flexible that's also high performance? Right. Is that, I don't know if you can reconcile the physics there. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, this, this has been like a really fun conversation. Yeah. Um, super awesome to have you, Sonny. Thank you. Like, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and we're uh, like just excited to have like you validate on Solana as well. Yeah, looking forward to it. Just trying to get my GPUs working, but awesome. but yeah, looking forward to it. Cool. All right.